Okay, we're going to let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church. If you've come here this morning and you're experiencing a level or degree of discouragement, frustration, fear, whatever it may be, the passage that we're looking at contains a promise for you. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those that he justified, he already has glorified. A number of people in our church family have touched base with me over the last couple of weeks saying at some levels I'm confused and encouraged. Uh, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, can I give you a simple response? I don't understand what I'm saying either. Okay? Because we are delving into the things that deal with the mind of God. But the thing that I do understand from this text is that it is a promise for everyone who loves God. The passage my wife read this morning says, those that are born of God love God. God. So the promises contained in this text are meant to be a source of comfort and encouragement for everyone whose heart has been quickened by the work of the Spirit, drawn to a place of faith and trust in Christ, and has been justified by the blood of Christ, and has the hope of eternal glorification with God. This text is for you. It doesn't matter how discouraged you feel this morning. It doesn't matter how frustrated you are this morning. Whether you believe this promise or not, it is for you. It is the means that God wants to use by the power of His Spirit to encourage your heart and to claim a very simple confession. It is this. God, our Father in heaven, who began a good work in you, will always finish what He starts. He does, he's not like Tim Hoff. Okay? If you walk through my house, I've been in there 10 plus years. My wife is smiling. There are many incompleted tasks. Some of them are due to a lack of desire. Some of them are due to a lack of ability. There are things that need to be finished in my house. I just, why isn't that done? Hey, don't worry about it. The truth is, I don't know how to do that. God has never faced a circumstance in your life that he just threw up his hands and said, I have no idea what to do. This, he takes all things and actively as instruments, he is shaping you through them actively into the likeness of his son. And he never gets frustrated. He never hits a circumstance that he can't handle. He is giving to you in this text a glorious promise, no matter how confusing it is to you. Embrace it and say, God, encourage my heart by the truth that everything in my life is working together for good. Ultimately, to the last word of this text, those that he justified, he also glorified. That is the substantial promise of God that should encourage the heart of every frustrated, fearful, and discouraged believer today. Grab this promise. Memorize this passage of Scripture. Let it be a daily encouragement to your Christian experience. And when you do, you will find that it will kill frustration, it will kill discouragement, it will fill you with hope and encouragement, it will make you one of the most humble, joyful people on planet Earth. And that is... Proud people are never happy because they're always afraid of losing their position. Humble people are full of joy 
giving credit to God for all that he has begun to do and will complete in their life. And so we look at this text that talks about our eternity past, God foreknew and predestined us. In the present, he calls and justifies those who respond to the message of the gospel preached. And in the future, he promises to glorify. Now, John Stott describes this passage of scripture as an unbreakable chain of five undeniable promises. The five words that are here exist together as a unit. You cannot take any one of these words and separate it out and says, this lives independently by itself. No, these five truths are tied together and they describe the ultimate work of God in the life of those that are redeemed by his grace and for his glory. An unbreakable chain in which each step is the logical, and please get this next word, it is the logical and inevitable outcome of the preceding link. Okay, it is impossible to miss that in this text. Those that he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he summons to come to himself. Those that he summons to himself, once they exercise faith and trust in Christ, he justifies them, and everyone that he justifies, he already declares glorified. Now that, when I read this verse five weeks ago, six weeks ago, when God put this on my heart, that truth stunned me. This is a text I have memorized. Today we finally get to the reason that I believe God impressed upon my heart to teach this, what I thought was the reason, but I think there were bigger reasons of what we've already been discussing. But this thought that those that he justified, he also glorified, is an enormous promise from God that should speak deep comfort to your heart. Here's my proposition this morning. Okay, The truth that I'm going to assert is this. God's saving purpose and plan for your life, believer, is unchanging. Now, I had another word. I think the, the word I used in the bulletin to describe the title of this sermon is God's saving purpose and plan for your life is immutable. It cannot be edited and it need never be. And it is unalterable. Its effect, the outcome of God's work in your life is his unchangeable plan for those that he by the blood of his son has purchased to be his children. What stuns me about this text, particularly the word, those that he justified, he also glorified, is this. This word is in the same tense as the other four words. The previous four words are in the past tense. That is, it's speaking about something that God did in the past. Some of what he did, he did in eternity past. Those that he foreknew and predestined and called and justified, he also glorified. Every word is in the same tense. What does that mean? You know what that means? That means that as God looks at your life, if you love him and know him personally, the end result and outcome of your faith in the mind and purpose and plan of God is immutable. Here's what blows me away. He already sees you in his son. That is your status. He sees you as glorified. He sees you in heaven. He sees you with him. He has already, past tense, glorified you. I want to I help you to understand how that truth, that my state of being glorified, and I'm going to explain what that means, how that state should produce in my heart a deep and profound encouragement on a regular basis. 
the outcome of my faith in Christ is not in doubt with God. But I have an opponent. The evil one who wants to cast questions on the dependability and faithfulness of Father in heaven. Who makes this promise? He wants to convince you that you can't succeed in the Christian life. That you can't overcome the pattern of sin that you're wrestling with. That your marriage can't be saved for the glory of God. That's what he wants you to believe. He is the deceiver of the brothers. And I'll address him personally, uh, not next week, but the week after that. Next week, Doug Finkbinder is here, by the way, so you can be encouraged, okay? So I need a break from this heaviness, okay? Doug will give you a break, okay, and encourage your hearts. But I just, I hope that we will grab this truth and do what Ephesians 6.10 says. Actually, it's a little bit later in the verses. He says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Take that little, it's the little dagger. Take the dagger and use it to kill the doubts of the evil one. Use it to doubt the doubt. You know when someone says, some little puny person says something to you that's threatening, and you say something like this, I doubt it. I mean, it's laughable sometimes, right? This is what God wants to do with this promise. Doubt the doubt. Confront the doubt about your future, about your security in Christ, about the outcome of your faith, about the success of your journey for the glory of God. Doubt the doubt, but doubt it with the promise, not simply with, I refuse to believe his lies. That will not work. You need to take the sword of the Spirit. You need to take the shield of faith, and with it, quench the fiery darts of the evil one who wants you to doubt the goodness and promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. That's what he wants you to do. And I want to encourage you along Here's my goal. My desire is that God would use his word this morning to help you to get your arms around this unbreakable chain of truth and that you would grasp the logical and inevitable outcome of these promises. That's what I pray God will do in your life this morning. So number one, I'm just going to give you three basic assertions this morning. One is this. Your progress in Christ is inevitable. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your progress in Christ, in the mind of God, and in the plan of God, is inevitable. Let's look at verse 29. There's a part of it that I skipped a few weeks ago. It says, for those that he foreknew, he also predestined. Notice what he says. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Okay, I skipped over that because I dealt more with the idea of the predestined and foreknew. But that which he foreknew and predestined has two parts to it. It has individuals that are on the heart of God. The people and the plan, that is the, those in this text. The people and the plan have an inevitable, unstoppable outcome. And that outcome is that we who believe will be shaped into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to make you more and more and more every day like his son Jesus. His plan, this idea of being conformed to the images of his son, is the progressive work of God in the life of his children. We use the word sanctification to describe this work. The completed work is justification. Made righteous before God by the shed blood of Christ, a completed work. 
This process of becoming like Jesus is the ongoing work of God that in this text lives in the passive tense. It is what God is doing for you on your behalf. It is a work in which also we cooperate with him as he makes us like Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 captures this promise. It says, if anyone is in Christ, that is to be foreknown, predestined, and called and justified. If anyone is in that status, he or she is a new creation. And then it gives you this fascinating thing. You become something brand new. And then old things are passing away and everything is becoming new. Folks, that is the inevitable result of the gospel. When it invades a heart and the spirit of God comes in and takes up residence, he inevitably will change you. God then takes an active and personal interest in your progress in the present. So Ephesians 2.10 says, 10 to, or 2.10 says this. It says, we are his workmanship. We are his project. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God ordained when? Beforehand. That we would walk in them. Folks, God is not in question as to the effectiveness of your Christian life. If Satan is holding you down, he's holding you down with a lie. God wants you to claim this truth. God, I am your workmanship. I am your son. I am your daughter. You have taken a personal and active interest in the success of my Christian life. Let that encourage your discouraged heart this morning. An active personal role is what the creator of the universe takes up in you. And Paul then claims it, a verse that I claimed my first year in college. He who, Philippians 1, 6, began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. The outcome is not in question when God is at work in your life. And if you love him and believe in him, this is his commitment to you. He is shaping you he is actively working in your life to make you like his son now philippians 2 13 also says this and this is the caveat does that mean that i just kind of go on in kind of a a a zombie state and just walk through life and god's just going to do his work in me no philippians 2 adds a burden to you it says you work out your salvation with fear and trembling Because God is coming alongside. Because God is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Fascinating words. He is willing. And God doesn't just try things. I try things. God never tries something. God does things. And as you take a step forward, he will empower you and will will and work for what pleases him. What's frustrating for us as Christians? The the thought that my life today may not be as pleasing to God as it could have been. What's the problem? I didn't walk in the Spirit. I didn't walk in the power of God, who is future, already sees me as glorified, but is seeking to work out in my life today, shaping me into the image of Christ. He is for you. Your progress then in Christ is inevitable. Last year, uh, when I went to Indonesia, I had a most fascinating encounter in the most frustrating set of circumstances i flew from jfk i can't even remember i think it was like 11 o'clock at night landed in dubai around the united arab emirates 
after a 15-hour flight. And I knew ahead of time my itinerary indicated that I had an eight-hour layover in Dubai. After a 15-hour flight, before getting on a nine-hour flight from Dubai to Indonesia. Oh, I was thrilled. Could you make the layover longer? <laughs> Can't leave the airport because you have to have a uh, uh, visa to leave the airport in Dubai. Can't buy one and just get out for a few hours. So I'm sitting in this airport for eight hours. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid to fall asleep. I'm just afraid to be myself sometimes, let alone the fear of falling asleep. Someone steal my luggage. So you kind of, you drape your, your legs around your luggage and you sit there and you try to sleep. After about three hours, there was a young guy sitting beside me. And I was expressing to him my frustration with why I had to be there and that I wish, you know, they could have got me through sooner and all those sorts of things. Got talking to him. He was coming back from uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia after a three-year uh, work visa in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to uh, Indonesia to share the love of Christ with people. I said, where are you from? He said, uh, from the Philippines. I said, oh, I said, have you ever heard about Jesus Christ? I had no idea. He said, uh, he looked like a guy that was caught with his hand in the candy jar. He said, my whole life. He said, my dad's a pastor in the Philippines, plants churches. He said, I don't know anything about that. He said, uh, I've been running away from God. <laughs> I said, uh, I have a little experience with that. He said, how you doing? Said, how you doing in creating distance as a Christian between yourself and God? He said, it's not going that well. I said, do you think that our meeting today is a mistake? He just looked at me. I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go home. Confess your sin to your dad. And embrace the fact that God in his mercy sat you beside an aggravated, arrogant American who happens to know Christ and who tried to run away from God for three years too and couldn't escape because the plan of God for those that are his children is inevitable. It is immutable. Your progress, if you know Christ, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This man and I have interacted on email on a number of occasions. This is the last email he sent me. Just like get someone else to read this, but I'll try. And any part in here about me, just he, he gets things mixed up a little bit because of the language barrier, and the language is really difficult to understand, but just listen to what he's... This is a year later, okay? I'm just getting ready to go at the end of February to go back to Indonesia. I get this email. He says, Pastor Tim, how are you? I pray for you that God will always be with you 
to strengthen you and guide you in all things you have planned to do in 2010. Happy New Year, Pastor Tim. He says, I am now working with the pastors in our community. And I will soon be one of them. This coming June, they will send me to a place where I can minister with the help of God as an intern student at Light and Life Bible College. I pray that God will always protect you wherever you go as a missionary, Pastor Tim. I am always praying for you, Pastor Tim. Soon I will be like you as a missionary in some other country because it is my burden. God bless you always. May you have a happy life in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this was probably the most significant event that occurred on my trip, and I knew when it happened, I knew it. I knew that God would take my stupid pride and my inconvenience to be the tool he would use for his glory. Folks, look, this guy's name is Ruel. You can pray for him. He wants to be a pastor in a country where they kill you for sharing Christ. Why? Well, because God in his mercy put him beside someone who was aggravated, who also like was in a state of Jonah, who needed a confrontation. And when he talked about being away from God, I couldn't be quiet. I knew that his attempt, if he was a child of God, I knew that his attempt to escape the arms of God's love would be unsuccessful. Why? Because Hebrews 12 says, what son is there whom the father does not chasten? What son is there that the father lets escape his sovereign plan and purpose? And folks, it, the, the message out of this for me is, is very simply, God always finishes what he starts. And he will use the most amazing sets of circumstances to achieve things that glorify him because I can't tell you I went into that airport praying that God would use me there. I can't tell you that. I wasn't thinking like that. I was aggravated by the circumstance. But God is inevitably powerfully at work in our life. The result of that is this. For Ruel, failures are not final with God. God's children will be unsuccessful sinners. There are two lessons that emerge out of this truth. Those that he has called and worked in the heart of and justified, he will glorify. And that glorification means the shedding of sinfulness, Romans chapter 3. Think of this. We all sin and fall short of what? The glory of God. What is God saying? I'm going to give you the glory that you fell short of. That is the inevitable outcome of the death of my son on Calvary's cross, whose blood purchases you from the graveyard of sin and gives you a new life in him. And the outcome of that work is never in doubt with God, often in doubt with us. We wrestle and we struggle, Paul says. But the work of God and the outcome of his plan is never in doubt. Number two, let's look at the word glorified. It means that God takes away 
the shortcomings of sin in our life. It's devastation in our life. And he gives us the glory of his son. He gives us the glory of his son. He has planned from eternity past to do us good in eternity future. And that is a blessing. He wants us to put our arms around in eternity presence. He wants us to claim this promise. Everything is going to work together for good. Because Almighty God is behind and behind and using all things. You need to say to me, Pastor Tim, what does this glorified mean? I think it means two things based on the context. I think it means spiritual transformation. To be in Christ is to become a new creation. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. Listen to these verses. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, there's the human response to the sovereign summons. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And then listen to this, to the praise of his glory. Folks, that's why those that are foreknown, predestined, and called and justified can never be proud of their status. Because it was never, understand this, it was never about you. It is about the glory of God in redeeming sinners. We enjoy the secondary benefits of that work of God, but we are never the primary purpose of that work. And if you shift this, you will struggle with this truth. If you believe that the purpose of creating the world was so that God could save sinners, you misunderstand why God created the world. He created the world so that he would be glorified in the rescue of rebels. That in heaven, we will not say, you're here and I'm here. In heaven, we're going to say, it's all because of him. The glory of God is the purpose and outcome of all of this work. And it is guaranteed by the indwelling spirit. He is the deposit who guarantees glorification. He is beginning the work of transformation. One day, God will, with an act, apply what he has already planned for us in the future. Let this truth sink in. Spiritual transformation is his plan to do us ultimate good. And his plan to do us ultimate good, number two, is an immutable an unchangeable plan because he speaks of the future outcome of your salvation as if it is, in Latin we say it this way, feta complete. It's already done in the mind of God. That is, here's, I know what some of you are thinking. That's risky. Because if it's that certain, couldn't that affect our obedience and faithfulness to God? Well, it depends if you have the Spirit of God in your heart or not. If you have the Spirit of God in your heart, you cannot help but listen to him. That's what Romans 8 is saying. Read the first part of the chapter. The Spirit of God is there. He's conforming us into the image of His Son. He's effectively, actively working to make us everything that He wants us to be. The other result is this, and this is beautiful. It is physical restoration. It includes the rescue and restoration of our physical body. Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. Whose citizenship is in heaven, Paul? Paul's saying mine is, meaning his own as he writes. And he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, you believers in Philippi, your citizenship is in heaven. Oh, no, it's not, Paul. I live in Franklin Township, New Jersey. 
You know what Paul says? He says, Tim Hoff, you are a Christian who lives in Franklin Township, New Jersey, but your citizenship, your destiny, is to be with God forever. So that we begin to understand and grasp that glorification involves not only the ridding of sin from our body, but also a new citizenship in heaven. Here's what Paul says. Because of this, we eagerly await a Savior from there. Who is he? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Do you get the all things again? Remember I told you early on, all things means everything. He has the power to bring everything under his control. And with that power, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his resurrected body. Folks, that is the essence of Christian hope. That what God has started, he will complete. That completion involves the ridding of us from sin and the ridding of our physical body from the consequences of the fall. Every family that has been stricken with sickness, with illness and disease lives with a longing to see deliverance from the effects of sin, to see ultimate glorification. That is what we crave and desire and want. Revelation 21 says this. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is, folks, what God is doing for us. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, John 14, fulfilled. And he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then the one on the throne says, Behold, I am making everything new. The final consummation of the kingdom. That is what God is talking about when he says, I have also glorified, not simply shaped you into the image of Christ, but given you the hope of freedom from the consequences of the fall and sin in a fallen world. Folks, is that not what you longed for when you saw the destruction and devastation in Haiti? Is that not what you longed for when you see someone who is crippled by the ravages of physical disease in a wheelchair, stuck there. In my heart, you know what I feel? I feel an anger towards sin. And in my heart, I'm saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come and make all things new. Fulfill your promise to glorify your name in any and all circumstances. Show your power. Christian hope is the comprehensive restoration of all things that's what god has planned for us and in his mind it is fata complete it is already done and he wants us to reach forward to that future promise and bring it into the present as a means of stabilizing and encouraging our hearts the last thought i leave with you this morning is this his glory is the goal of your salvation his glory is the goal of your salvation listen how he says this in verse 29 for those that God foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Why? So that he, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn, the supreme, the preeminent amongst many brothers. Folks, let this settle in. The end goal of our salvation through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and his glorification when he is seated at the right hand of the Father on high is that in everything he might have the preeminence. So when I react to this text saying, I'm not so sure what I think about that idea about predestination and foreknowledge. You think it's about you. It's about God. It's about the glory of his son that is revealed in redeeming sinners and glorifying them, and they are always beneath Him. We are never central in heaven. Our joy is the glory of God. Carmela said this this morning. Love being here to sing praises together. Why do you love that? Because it is fitting and appropriate. It is not arrogant for God, creator of all things, to ask for our worship and praise. But if you would start singing songs on Sunday morning about Tim Hoff, Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. I would be embarrassed. And you would think it odd. But you do not think it odd when God asks for praise. Why? Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. You created all things, and by your power, they live and exist and have their being. Folks, the same thing is true about our salvation. It's about the glory of God. So it can't produce arrogance. It's going to produce deep humility. It's going to produce a desire to embrace what God is doing through his son and a desire to glorify the one that Revelation 5 says he's worthy to receive glory and honor and power and blessing because he purchased from among people by his blood those that will live with God forever in the future. He redeemed us. He purchased us. You are worthy, Lord. That's what John is saying. It's about God. And when we're in heaven, you know why we're there? We're not there to receive all the blessings of Revelation. Yeah, I mean, it's true. But it's not the main storyline. The main storyline is that we there will be singing his praises. And it will feel profoundly and utterly appropriate. It's why you get disturbed by athletes that are on a team who act like it's all about them. Who think they're really that good and that the team can't succeed without them. And you love when they get fired and the team does better without them. Because they didn't deserve that. It looked awkward. But the book of Psalms says, of God, praise is, in the King James, I only know it this way, it says praise is comely. It's, it's a, when he puts it on, it's like, that looks good on you. And that's the joy. But here, and look, I want to tell you this. I understand that. I understand that as a result of his work, Philippians 2, where he comes down and then dies for us and pays for our sin and is exalted to the right hand of the Father and God exalts him above all things and every knee bows and confesses Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I have no problem appreciating and understanding that. I understand why Christ is worthy. But the part about this glorification thing that I don't understand, that two weeks ago stunned me in a fresh way, is that... God, our Father in heaven, glories in us. John 17, Jesus says, Father, I pray that you would give them the glory that I had before the world began. Okay, let that sink in. Give them the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now, 
I'll just share with you this very simple conclusion from this text that I think is exceedingly powerful. Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 17. The baptism of Christ, Matthew 17, transfiguration. The revelation of his incredible pre-incarnate glory. Matthew 17, Jesus is baptized. And the Bible says that the heavens open and a dove, the Holy Spirit, descended upon him and a voice came out of heaven saying, what? This is my son in whom I am well pleased and whom I love. Matthew chapter 17, Mount of Transfiguration. Disciples are blown away by the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Heaven opens. This is my son who I love. Listen to him. All right, I, I get that. I'm stunned by it, but I get it. What I don't get is Zephaniah, and you might write this down and go look at this later. Zephaniah chapter 3. Just please listen. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Old Testament people of God, when they are just about to be destroyed by Babylon because of their wretched rebellion and sin. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Zion, do not fear, O Zion. Don't be afraid. Remember, this promise is to encourage us in our discouragement. The Lord your God is with you. And here's what Zephaniah says. This blows my mind. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty. He is able. He is capable to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I don't understand that. Because I understand the audience in Zephaniah is a rebellious nation called Israel who is hard-hearted in their rebellion against God. And Zephaniah speaks of the future and he says, he will take great delight in you. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Folks, please get this. Think of Luke chapter 15. The story is not about the rebellious son. The story is about a loving father. And when the rebellious son comes into the arms of receptive, inalienable love and grace, what does the father do? You know what he does? He throws a party. A party that is so glorious and gracious that it ticks off the self-righteous son. He says, bring out the best food. Kill the fatted lamb. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on him. My son, that was lost, has been found. And you know why Jesus tells that story? To encourage the heart of believers concerning the heart of a heavenly father who does not have affection for self-righteousness and rejects it, the older son, but who has profound love for his child who has experienced his grace and mercy. I think I'm a proud dad. I think I am. I wrestle with what it means to enjoy seeing progress in the life of my kids. And I want to tell you this, folks. I am humbled by it. I don't... I praise God for a godly wife. That's what I can say. Who spent a lot of time with them rubbing her life on their life. And I praise God that it took. I, I've always thought to myself, I don't want to be the annoying parent who always talks about his kids. I, 
don't want to be that person. But I find myself inevitably being that person because I love my daughters. If you talk to me about Erica, I'm going to tell you, oh, she's running at college now. You know what I'm doing? I am rejoicing over her. You ever have this experience? Someone comes up to me, oh, did I tell you about my daughters? It's like, yeah, three times. <laughs> God says that he rejoices over us with singing. Do you know yourself? Have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you investigated your heart lately? He looks at you and he says, I love you. And I am going to rejoice over you with singing. I understand what we do at the beginning of the service. I get that. I don't get this. But in our glorification, he is bringing us home. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is even more stunning because what it says is he rewards us and gives us glory for the effort that we put forward for his name. Wow. Have you believed the gospel? Ephesians 1.13 and you also were included in Christ. You came into this realm of justified with the hope of glorification as a fact when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed your acceptance of God's sovereign grace, a choice that God calls you and enables you to make as a divine summons, when that happened, you were marked in Him. You were given a down payment, which is a promise that your purchase will be done and already is in the mind of God glorified. Have you believed? Because for some, they may be listening to the truth of the gospel and resisting the message. That is fatal spiritually. If you sense God calling on your heart, respond to the call of the gospel and believe. And when you do, everything in your life changes. Christian friend, God's commitment to you is I like this word pronounced this way, so I'm going to say it this way. It's irrevocable, and it is without condition. Because your Father in heaven always finishes what he starts. I've said to my daughters, you're not going to get away from me. I will pursue you. If you try to run into sin, I will stand in your way. Because you by birth are my daughter, and I will not stand by. Father in heaven not only does that, he also understands the deepest parts of our heart and encourages us and strengthens us. Lastly, our lives, if we know Christ, should be characterized by a joyful confidence. We should lay our head on this pillow of this truth and say, He cares for me. We should lay our heads down at night and say, Oh, how you love me. That you would rejoice over me with singing. And when that happens... He for you, my friend, will be the end of anxiety. He will be the end of pride. He will be the end of rebellion. And it will be, when your heart is changed, when your life is changed, it will be for His glory. It was never about us. It was always about Him. To God 
be the glory. Father, we pray this morning that the truth of your word 